Welcome to the Alternative Property Management Podcast, brought to you by Renty and the PMC. Hosted by David Faulkner, Harrison Vaughn, and Will Alexander, and powered by Renty, who just want to make renting enjoyable. And welcome to the Alternative Property Management Show. It is our election special, and what a weekend we have had. We've had it all. I don't know what was more exciting. Was it the general election? Was it the Rugby World Cup? I actually think it was the Rugby World Cup personally, but we'll get on to that later on. Uh, there's no Will Alexander tonight. He had to dash onto a plane, but we've got Harrison Vaughan with us. Harrison, how's your week, how's your week been? Have you watched much of the rugby? Yeah, no, bloody good weekend, like you said. Rugby result was awesome. Election result was awesome. And I also managed to um, sign up the most expensive lease we have this year as well. So it was a win on all fronts. God, what was the most expensive lease, mate? Uh, we've done 3000 a week for a, for a diplomat in Mount Victoria for five years. There you are, renting properties into all these diplomats. And I'm renting out properties in Wairoa, Tokoroa, you know, no disrespect to places like that. But, I mean, you know, $3,000. Different markets, different markets. It's days. a different market. It's a different market. Anyway, we've got a very special guest on our show tonight, Holly Bennett. Now, Holly Bennett is a lobbyist. Uh, she's got two companies, I understand. Holly, why don't I get you to introduce yourself? First of all, Kiora, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. And, uh, yeah, give us a little bit of uh, background about yourself. Kia ora kōrua. it's so lovely to be here, thank you so much for having me. I'm so sad that Will's not here, but we'll have him in our minds as we go through this super, super important quarter, because I'm we, about we, we to... Won't. Oh, we, we won't? won't? We won't. Okay. We won't. we won't have him in our minds. <laughs> Will, I think that's a sign that I'm going to replace you as the ongoing host. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I've got so much quarter to go through with you guys post-election, especially in regards to that bill. I've taken some notes, and you guys are going to get some free lobbying advice on this. But, yes, I do have two companies. One is called Offi. It's a kaupapa Māori lobbying firm based here in Newmarket in Tāmaki Makoto in Auckland. And I also have another company called Engage. And it teaches yeah. people how to be their own lobbyist because, essentially, I think what I do is – somewhat of a it's an art but also it can be taught so i really like to be able to share that knowledge that matauranga with others and um get them to be able to advocate for themselves so that's a little bit about me well we've asked you to come along and present at the pmc we're so thrilled that you've, you've decided to take us up on the invite you're probably wondering why are these guys asking me to speak to a, at a property <laughs> management conference Hey, I I fuck up to iwi kotiarua, so I'm from Rotorua. And there's a fakatoki saying that we have it's um ko Arua Mangai Nui, the big mouth of Arua. Uh, so you can interpret that however you would like, Kotorua. So interpret it, but it does mean that I tend to not uh, stray away from being on stage or taking the opportunity to uh, talk about what I do. <laughs> don't don't you just love that laugh? I've listened. It sounds like the podcast. I, I'm, it could be a bit of a challenge here. Who has more listeners, you or, or us? Uh, <laughs> probably you. But tell us about your podcast because it's so good to listen to. Yeah, kapoi. So I have a, um, a completely self-funded podcast that I do called Quite Simply Politics. It was sort of born out of this idea that, um, you know, everyone across the political spectrum has some element of validity in what they're saying. And I really wanted to get in behind the corridor of our political leaders because we see the um, cut and thrust uh, often from Parliament. So we see a very small side of it. And when I say we, I mean general public. We see what we see on 6 o'clock news or what we see through mainstream media. So 
I wanted to create a space where we could uh, delve into issues and also the backgrounds of our political leaders, because there's some really interesting reasons why people end up in politics and hat tip to everyone in politics, because it is it is a hard industry to be in. I mean, I imagine um, be doing what you guys do is hard, but I would say politics is probably a whole lot harder. <laughs> I mean, approximately how many hours a week? Because it is what I get from when I look at it from the outside looking in. These guys work a ridiculous amount of hours, and there's obviously a lot of a lot of pressure on it. We've, we've seen it in pretty dire circumstances in the last few months on some of these poor politicians. And, yes. and of course, there's the job security isn't always there as well as as I mean, we've seen some big names go out of parliament, haven't we? After this election. I know so much change. I'm so interested. The, I was watching a um, press conference the other day uh, with uh, Christopher Luxon speaking to the media, and there was uh, two MPs behind him, and I was like, I have no idea who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All these fresh faces, eh, coming into yeah, Parliament now. That's the one. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, it is a 24/7 job. Uh, I, I've only ever worked as a political advisor, so it's in behind the scenes supporting a minister. Um, but again, that those days were like 12 to 16 hours and also you're constantly on the precipice of something that you're dealing with uh being on the front page of the newspaper so that's really where the rubber hits the road that's the reason why it is one of arguably the most stressful jobs because you're constantly either trying to um dampen down a crisis that has happened or prepare to have a crisis be broken <laughs> right so these politicians, just because we'll come into the topics in a minute, but it's good to just get a little bit of a background first, Holly. Hope you don't yeah, mind. Yeah. So, so, you know, and I'm not going to ask you to name names or anything like that, but I mean, do these politicians from opposite sides, I'm sure they must now and again, they go to the back bench and have a beer together and get on with each other or a wine. I mean, it's not all, you know, cut thrust and, and at each other at PMQs. Do they? Yeah, do they no. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you would find that there's far more similarities across many politicians in our parliament um, than differences. Uh, what it, When I refer to the cut and thrust of politics, I am speaking specifically to question time because arguably that is the most interesting part of politics. Mm. Um, I have to watch certain pieces of legislation. So I have gone and watched the first reading of the, what is your guys' bill called? The Residential Property Managers Bill. I have gone and watched that. I didn't watch it by choice before, but I watched it now but um you know that kind of stuff is not ever going to get on the news you know that's not ever going to be top of mind for people who just want to sort of see they want to see the those 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 headline grabbing moments the parts where it's sort of a little bit dramatic but then when you actually think about it it is just humans at the end of the day wanting the best for our country and they do have a lot more similarities and than differences and one of the things that i like about having a platform like Quite Simply Politics is that it allows me to talk about the nuance. So we recently had um, James Shaw on the podcast and he was actually the last episode that I did before the election. And I'm a bit of a um, fiscal conservative. So I really don't like spending taxpayers' money and I like <laughs> creating savings and doing mm. more with less. And then arguably that's, uh, you know, that's uh, magnified by my uh, business background. But uh, I asked him about the New Zealand steel deal and the things that they were doing in terms of giving these subsidies to uh, some of our biggest polluters. And I said, as a purist, 
I hate that policy. I don't like it. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. And why is it that these organisations that are creating massive profits then get to dip into the um, get to dip into yeah. taxpayers' funds? And he took me through it. And I wouldn't say I agree with him, but he made me understand that he didn't have the perfect levers, but he got, had a lever that he could use to reduce emissions by one percent. And he said. On the balance, I had to do something. I couldn't do nothing. And so that was the reason why I made the decision to do that. And that is something you can't get in a six-second soundbite. Yeah. Mm. Alison, I'll just quickly ask you a question here, mate, because did you make a submission on, on the bill at all? Because uh... um, I was just sort of partly involved with the Ryan submission. I didn't personally submit, but I helped provide yeah. feedback. And did the NZ Realtors do a submission as well? I think I we did. I... Well, I don't know. I didn't see the New Zealand realtors, but here at Property Brokers, I, I wrote a submission and I shared it with the team as well. Because, uh, I mean, my view on the bill, I mean, I generally, I like it. Mm. I, there's some points there which I think, you know, are missing. I would love to see a landlord register so we know how mm. every property is being used yeah. in New Zealand. One of the concerns I've got is that this could um, drive a almost like a black market of landlords who are renting out poor quality properties mm. and typically they're renting them out to the most vulnerable people in New Zealand who who don't have a voice uh, or don't know how to use that voice mm. um, so that's some of the points that, that I've put across I don't think Kyangarora should come under the bill um, I think that should probably go to a separate piece of legislation Holly I mean you know you've, you've watched it on on yep. <laughs> You've seen it debated. You're probably the only person who's actually sat there. <laughs> hey, I was thinking about your listeners and I thought I would like to deliver them value. <laughs> yeah. We and appreciate like, that. <laughs> so I wanted to actually be able to provide some good advice, something that, that is useful. So I think it's important if we just start off this corridor with the makeup of parliament, right? Because obviously it's going to look way different than it did for the past three years, the past six years with a national-led government. You know, that's the key takeaway from what's happened in the weekend. And just a caveat to David's uh, introduction when he said um, he didn't know which one was more exciting, the All Blacks or the election. I said pre-conversation that I thought it was, of course, the election. <laughs> <laughs> but if it was a Warriors game, I'd be probably have a different answer. But <laughs> of the last. Of the last. Yeah. Now you're talking my language. That's the one. That's the one. So... So if we think about that, then, then then it provides us that grounding context for how we sort of move. And then that's always the things that we're thinking about as a lobbyist is what is the scenario that we have before us? So, so in essence, you've got a majority national-led government, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's about these other little things that are going to have to happen first before we know what the makeup is of the executive. So therefore, those who are ministers and will ultimately be the ones responsible for shuttling this bill through. So do you, you guys will know who are the other two in contention. Yeah, well, it's ACT and, and, and obviously New Zealand First are going to be coming yeah. into yeah. Yeah, if, they, if, they do, if they do a deal, would you reckon he'll do a deal with Winnie? I think Surely not. No, I well, think he will. There's a massive quirk here. Um, so we usually have 120 MPs, right? We've got that Port Waikato by-election, yes, yes. which means that suddenly we have 121 seats. So yep. you could still have a majority with 61. However, Te Pāti Māori managed to flip 
three seats. So we could actually have the position where we have 123 members of parliament because their party vote doesn't equal how many electorates they flipped. So we could have more people, which means 61 is now not the magic number. You'd need 62. Yeah. So, you know, if and, and in the way the numbers are, ACT and National together only have 61. Yeah. So that is why the, the that's why and that's why you see this 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 increasing um, <clears throat> rhetoric from Luxon to say I'm not going to do the negotiations in the media and then some of yeah. the journalists are getting a little bit sort of testy around that and saying no you should be telling us um, but I actually don't think that, that it's never been that negotiations have been done in the media um, so I don't expect anyone to find out until the actual uh, the the chips have fallen um, but what you're going to see is people moving in ways to figure out what is the best position for them because it's all success what they do so we know that national would like to govern with act alone but new zealand first mm -hmm. is there we've still got 20 percent of the votes to be counted so it's about 567,000 that are, are due to come out and so they will come out on the 3rd of november i didn't and realize then, it was so i didn't realize it was so many yeah do you, you know 20 yeah do you know why it is though well, is it because people are living up? There's about a million Kiwis over there. International votes, or yeah, and and it's because we as a country make it so easy to vote, and so arguably it's the right thing to do because you can go walk up and enrol on the day even if you haven't enrolled, and I think that's the right way to do it. We don't actually want mm. to put up barriers of voting, so people who walk up to a booth and they haven't enrolled but they have a right to vote. Remember, it's a democratic mm. right. They can enrol on the day, so. They can go, but they have to cast a special vote. And um, but there's even people like me. I had to cast a special vote, and that's because for some reason I was still on, and I voted in Auckland Central before, and I'm still registered down in Hamilton West. Oh. <laughs> so I had to do a special vote. So that's why there's so many because we do make it so easy. So and I would say that's not not that's something we wouldn't really want to lean into and make harder because we do want yeah. people to. Mm. Vote. What was supposed so, to turn out like, Holly? Can I just quickly ask you, do you know what percentage of the population actually voted? I've only heard that the musings that it was lower than we've seen. I haven't actually seen the actual numbers, so I'd have to go and have a look at it. But I mean, any time we have apathy towards voting, it's not a good thing. Because mm. what it means is that people don't see themselves reflected in our House of Parliament. And then therefore, they don't feel the impetus to make their Voice, their voice heard and it means that you get a very uh, uh, you get an arguably swayed ver version of what's happening in parliament and that is not good because a democracy is made up of everyone not just those who choose to choose to um, or have the means to participate yeah. yeah that's probably one of the problems with local governments I suspect because we just get such a poor voter turnout at local governments, and then we all complain <laughs> yeah. about why we can't get them <laughs> moving and stuff like that. Well, I feel like yeah. they don't promote it much. The local council election stuff, all of well, that they, stuff. Seems well, they to do, Ali. They do. It's just that people just don't read and don't. Yeah. Pay <laughs> or I, I just don't look when they advertise it. You don't look. Yeah. Anyway. I have very unhelpful views on local government, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Even though they are so important, <laughs> but I think you could anticipate where that's probably going. Um, so yeah, so that is what's happening right now in the the political world, and that that we need to figure out that. However, mm. when we look at your guys' bill, 
it's a government bill. And so what I wanted to have a look at was what the voting was. Do you guys know what the numbers were when it was um, voted uh, through in first reading? Uh, no, I'm guessing that because it was Labour pushed, um, the Greens would certainly have gone for it. Yeah. Because I've, I've interviewed Chloe Swalbrick. I actually got a lot of time for Chloe Swalbrick. She, she's a very well-read young lady. Yeah. She reads. Um, she reads. <laughs> she reads. She does. She does. She does her homework. Um, yeah. So Labour, Greens, Tapasi Mari, I, I, I have no idea where they would sit on it. So I, I, I went and had... Absolutely the... no. That'd be for it, wouldn't they, Tapasi Mari? Yeah. So I had a look at the numbers and there's some interesting quirks here. So clearly some votes were, weren't, some people didn't cast their proxy, which just means that they give it to another party to vote on their behalf. Um, right. But you had 108 yeses, 10 noes. So I think that was Harrison, you said ACT would have been against it. I yeah. Think I just said that. yeah. So dead on. So ACT is the only party that opposed it. And then 108 yeses. So you can sort of get that sense. Okay, so that's the split. But now you have to take your mind back to what's happening with government makeup, right? And so we know that National is looking for that coalition um, and it, to go into government with ACT, potentially New Zealand first. So what does that mean? So this is where the power of how you know how to read these things comes in. So what I did is I went through and watched all these first readings to get an understanding of why National supported it. And they supported it with scepticism. That's the yeah. word that the housing spokesperson, Chris Bishop, used. Chris supported Bishop, with, yeah. yeah. And then ACT opposed, so that was Brooke Van Valden, their housing spokesperson, also their deputy leader, and, and made the case for further regulation of the housing market is not going to solve the housing crisis. And so I've written down some notes, but as a just as a first and foremost point, how does that, what are your guys' initial thoughts when you hear that? I'm not entirely, What we, you probably don't know this, Holly, but last year at, the, at our first PMC conference, we got Chris Bishop, we got Brooke Van Belden, we got Chloe Swarbrick, and we got Dr. Megan Wood in a panel, all of yeah. them together. And it yeah. was fascinating. Yeah. And Brooke came straight away said, we're opposed to it, we're anti-regulation, we're, we're less government. Chris Bishop, I know that the Real Estate Institute have had good dialogue with him. Yeah. And there is, and he basically said, we're not going to rule it out, but you've got to sell it to us. Yeah. Uh, and so that, I'm a, I'm a little bit surprised that that many from National voted for it because they're about reducing costs. Um, so that's they would have been They would have been whipped. So they yeah. would have all voted together because it's not a conscience vote. And yeah. so then that's the thing. That's why they, but it's really interesting because then what I did is then I went and had a listen to some of the corridor of the speakers who did their um, first reading speech. And you can really get a sim, like a sense of sort of what, with what direction they may have, um, what direction they may have post government being established so post this election and where it might go um so for example one of the things that chris bishop said loud and clear is that he do he said we do want to improve the life for renters in new zealand oh. so that was one of their key principles for supporting the bill um and he also said that he'd like to see the number of renters decline over time and see more property owners you know and and that goes to what you said at the heart david right at the beginning about saying like our renters are sometimes our most vulnerable you know so so if we can get them into their own home that is um, advantageous. One of the things that he did mention, though, in his first reading speech is that he talked about Lower Hutt. So he is now the MP for Hutt South. Yes. He turned that yes. seat. So it went from red to blue. So he's now got that seat. But he specifically mentioned 
$257 rent increases in the past six years. So if I was a sneaky little lobbyist, I'd be talking to him about that number, right? Because you also have to remember they're not just there in their capacity of their party and their spokesperson portfolio, but they've also got electorates, whether they are the MP or a list MP. So that is something that he referred to because that'll be clearly top of mind. He wants to do a good job for his constituents and therefore he wants to either stop rent from rising and then turn the dial so it doesn't add more costs. So that'll be one of the big things that they'll be looking at is how does this regime add money and where can we avoid that happening? Yeah, so it's an add value for, for you know, you've got to make sure. And we've seen it. And there's no doubt what you're saying is true. Because what I, I study the rents a lot, particularly around provincial New Zealand. Now, all mm. rents traditionally go about 3 4% per annum. And they have done since records began in 1993. And that's still been the case, Holly. But mm. when you take it out to provincial New Zealand, I mean, I'm based in Palmy. Mm. And we've seen annual rent increases over the last two to three years of 10 Fifteen percent. Some really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and 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 Auckland makes up one third of the rental market of mm. New Zealand. So that has it kind of skew whiffs the data yeah. a little bit. Now the costs that have been put on landlords in particular, plus a shortage of housing, plus people maybe moving out of cities, going to the provinces post-COVID, all of this impacts you know supply, demand, and costs. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, look, I mean, look, we make money from people renting and typically mm. more rents, more money we make. We don't drive up rents. It, no. It's, you know, we, we can't do that. And we don't want to do that. And it's not yeah. good long term for New Zealand as a whole. I mean, I've got teenage kids who are going to be renting very soon. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, there's, I think, and it goes to the heart of this, this bill, which is these always outliers in every industry. And that is... Mm. The, that we need to focus on, right? We need to make sure that they are not then doing the nefarious activities onto people who don't have the ability to be able to stand up for themselves or advocate for themselves. They're the ones that we need to quash. And that is consistent for every single industry, mine included, right? So every single industry will always have outliers. One of the things though, is that when we look at this and what the industry itself has been advocating for, I think now you're in an interesting tension point because the industry has spoken about the value of the guidelines and the fact that they're going to be important. If there's anyone across the sector that does a U-turn, this is where this disingenuous policy stuff starts to happen, which is where that is a hurdle as an industry you need to get over. Right. So it's just something when because I wrote down key things to think about as an industry. So that would be one of the first things to think about. What are some of the outliers in the industry? What potentially yeah. may they do? Yeah. I mean, this is fascinating listening to you. I mean, your expertise. It's just. <laughs> we can. Blows us out the water, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> And then the other thing I did want to touch on as well, um, and Chris Bishop said this in his first reading speech, is that there's actually no guarantee it will come up in the new government. And the reason no. being is that they have this thing called an order paper, right? So it's a, all the list of all the bits and pieces of legislation before the yeah. House that Parliament has to debate. And it's for the new Parliament to vote to reinstate items on the order paper. So you're really then looking to see whether or not national votes to reinstate it. Now, remember, it's going it's before select committee, subs closed last week, 
it will have a new minister shepherding it through. Select committee will do a report back of what all of these submissions look like, probably make recommendations for changes, but the new minister has the prerogative to be able to have a look at the bill and as long as it's in line with the intent to make changes to the bill. So yeah. this is where if you guys have got things that you're thinking about that you're like, mm, actually, it needs to be a, a little bit of a tweak here. It needs to look like this. This is the time as a sector to be thinking about it to then be and then starting to get your ducks in a row to make the case for those changes to be made. All right. I mean, the real estate institute should be talking to I'm sure they probably are. And I know they've had dialogue with Chris Bishop. My take on it, Holly, is that. You know, this is what we see working in the cold face. Yeah. What I believe will happen with this bill, what it's going to do, it's going to make professional property management companies not take the risks of taking on landlords who've got these non-compliant properties. Because mm. at the end of the day, we face risk in tenancy tribunal because it's our name on, on the order. And I've been to tribunal in recent times trying to defend property brokers for the odd one, which yeah. sneak through the cracks and, and you deal with it. And if yeah. you copper fine, you take it on the chin. But if we're going to find ourselves, and particularly around bond money, which can sometimes, we see a lot of bond money go disappearing and landlord's money may go disappearing. If there's real risk of fines mm. and, and, and getting even suspended and you can't operate as a business, you're not going to take on risk. Yeah. Now, what this does, it means that the entire property management industry goes, right, we're not going to take on any bad properties. You've got to come to us with a compliant property or else we're not even going to look at it. Mm. Then these landlords have got nowhere to go. Mm. And that's why I'm saying a landlord registered to some degree would work well, because it's going to mean, right, it's going to be easy to identify the slum landlords. Mm. And, and and it ultimately, it does protect tenants. Yeah. You know, like you said, Dave, there'll be an underground market of, um, be an underground of dodgy market. houses. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's the, um, the property manager's bill. Can I ask you... But it is now, more, Dave, like it is kind of more around money laundering and and yeah. all of that sort of stuff because i mean it, it's too easy in property management to to wash money and all of that sort of stuff is that a real thing it's it, honestly it would be so easy because you've got to legally accept cash as rent payments and this is yeah. why the bill is oh coming in. my god i had no idea no yeah. i didn't hear anyone yeah it would on be the, the it would be the one industry where Gangs could be washing we've, thousands of dollars with fake tenancies. We yeah, we haven't talked about this on this podcast, Ollie, but we've talked about it over a bit. Mm. And, and, and we sometimes discuss, I'm wondering if they'll, because all the real estate now have to do all the anti-money laundering. Now, and I've yeah. thought to myself, my God, it would be so easy for someone to, like a gang or whoever, buy yeah. a rental, and then you're just washing money through as rent. It, it, it's, we're probably... There's no Probably giving people like ideas this. here now. <laughs> yeah, don't do this. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the other things that I found really interesting too, which is another thing, um, with the the bill goes some some way in helping. And Melissa Lee touched on this in her first reading speech, was to help to get over the discrimination by names. So she used the fact. Yes that people sometimes feel discriminated against because of their name. And she used Lee as an example, um, you know, and she said like that I have constituents coming in tearful because somebody has refused me just on paper. They don't even know anything about me. But And I thought, well, that's a real life example of why it's meaningful because that is actually horrendous. 
Yeah, it happens, Ollie. There's no doubt. I mean, it's it's you get people who go, oh, I don't want such particular. Um, I mean, one of the most common ones I've heard of in this industry is Indians, because oh, the, the smell of the cooking, and it's mm. it's, and you get landlords say say this to you, and mm. you go. Yeah, and you, you, brought, you, brought, <laughs> yeah. you oh, no. just want to be able to just go, sorry, yeah. you know, you almost say to them, listen, leave this to us, that's what you're paying us for. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah 100%. I did have a question for you guys, but Dave, you've already answered it, but I'm interested <laughs> in what, again. yeah, I know what I'm interested in what you, you're going to say, Harrison, which is around kāinga ora. Yes. So I wanted to put that question to you guys. Do you think that this bill, given that they're probably the biggest property manager in the country, yeah. should mm-hmm. include them? I think in, I think in terms of the whole property compliance stuff, yes, they're the biggest, they're the biggest landlord. And and if anything, they're dealing with the most vulnerable tenants in this country. So if anything, they should be upheld to the highest standard you know, beyond professional property management companies. So, yeah, I definitely think they should be. Um, but then in the same case, you don't want them to incur heaps and heaps of costs. I don't think Younger Aura will be doing money laundering or anything like that. So you might be able to remove some of those sorts of financial obligations that, you know, auditing and all of that stuff to help reduce costs so that, you know, the rents aren't, aren't too high for the um, – for the public housing. But no, mm. definitely Kyunga Aura and all of them should be bound by the same act. And to be honest, it should trickle right down to private landlords, even those with one property, they should have to, you know, register and, you know, like you sit your learner's license, you do 20 multi-choice questions or something, something similar to that. Real simple, just so they we can prove they know a few basic things. Mm. Holly, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you, I'll be in my minority in the view. Uh, and the reason why I think Kangaroo probably shouldn't come under it is because they don't have in the, you're protecting owners' money, uh, and that, that's how I see it. Mm. And because there's the the owner is the state, there's not that relationship, and that's why I think it, it should be left to one side. What you do have though, which and, and I'm unsure about this, is that you've got a lot of community housing providers who will go to private landlords and say, "Give us your property, we will pay you market rent." And I tell you what, I think there's got to be some question marks about how some of those guys operate. Oh, it's questionable how they operate, some of them. And they should they should probably come under this because they are, as Harry said, a, a property manager. Mm. And there is a there is an owner at the end of the equation there who's expecting rent payments and, and as such, and these people should be held up to a specific mm. standard. So bear with me for a moment, because I mean, this is where the opportunity lies. So you've got this bill, which in in essence that you're happy with, maybe it needs a little bit of tweaking, but its intention is right. This is where you start making the case with the new ministers to say, but it also needs something around kāinga order. And then you can get around both of your guys sort of like views and say, well, it actually needs to sit alongside this bill. It's not in it because it's distinct, because it's a state versus private, and it's a very good distinction to make, but it needs to sit alongside it. And then we've got community housing providers. It doesn't need to be made too complex, but as an industry, this is where it comes to you guys to say, actually, this is what we think the solution could be. You have the policy writers to be able to work through this, but this is what we're seeing. This needs to sit alongside it. So you have two pieces of complementary legislation that deal with both sides of the 
coin. And then there's no reason why a new minister, if, if National wants to keep going with the bill, which it, it seems on balance they probably will, mm. you know, yeah. then you say, well, you just pause it once it comes out of select committee, which they can do because there's a thing called the leader of the house, you know, and Chris Bishop used to work for the leader of the house so they know how this stuff rolls. And I know because I used to have to go out to the leader of the house office and mm. say, can you please pause my legislation? <laughs> I haven't done my work. No. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then you can put a pause and then you can make the case and then that stuff can start working through. So there is things that you can do. And I think a lot of the reason why I set up a gauge is people think that the act of government, the act of governing and legislation is a thing that happens to them. It should be a thing that happens with them. Right. And so that is my big call out to your sector is that you're actually entitled to be there as part of the solution maker rather than having things happen to you. So mm. if I was sitting here giving you advice, I, this is what I would give you. I'd say there's an opportunity here and then you can make it better for everyone. Right, right. So I've been to select committee twice. I've well, one in, in actual parliament, which is, I have to say, I mean, I love my politics. And from a democracy point of view, you walk in and you can feel the history yeah. of, of this place. And it's it's nerve-wracking stuff. That was when uh, letting fees were being... Yes. They were scrapping letting fees, which I was all for. I thought yeah. was, that was a good move. And the other one was uh, the RTA amendment bill. I had to do it when COVID was on. And what I did, yeah. I put a suit. I had my shorts and my jandals on, but my amber suit and shirt and tie on. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so so other aspects of what changes that we because I mean we've taken we've taken up a lot of time on the bill, which is great, Ollie. It's been yeah. fascinating listening to what you say. All the changes that National has said they're going to make, or they're the, the, the looking at potentially doing, a lot of the amendments from the Residential Tenancies Act in 2020, yeah. such as the 90 days and, and, and so forth, so forth. Um, I don't know how far they're going to go with that, but they're talking about getting rid of the the, the you have to. What is it at the moment? You've got to have a valid reason to end the tenancy. They're getting no clause evictions. Yeah. Evictions. Yeah. 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 So they're going to bring back that. That's what they're proposing. And they're also going to remove the rollover of fixed term tenancies into periodic tenancies. So mm. you're right. Those were both introduced under the Residential Tenancies Amendment Act in 2020. Um, it's interesting. Act is sort of aligned with them on that. That they'll allow um, landlords to issue a 90 day notice without providing a reason. Um, or applying to the tenancy tribunal, but they also want to let ten landlords, sorry, landlords charge an extra bond for pets. What do you guys yeah. think about that? Yep, I'm all for the pet bond. Yep. Yeah. But we we're very pet pro where we are. But um, I think well, thank, a, thank the world for you because I love bond. having a pet, <laughs> and I have had so many landlords say no. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's too many landlords that hate them, but the pet bond would be how you win over those prickly landlords that are really yeah. concerned about us. Well, I'll tell you what, Ollie, if you if you read my blogs, which I'm sure you do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't what's, read them, Holly. No. <laughs> this, this, is what, this is what's happening in tenancy tribunal. So the tenancy tribunal, some adjudicators, and I believe now, you know, tenants are going to have be able to have pets and landlords ain't going to be able to do a thing about it because there's nothing in the RTA about pets, nothing. Mm. And and I know the RTA pretty well. And you're not allowed to write clauses in the in your tenancy agreement that do not, which don't fit into the RTA, the Residential Tenancies Act. So when you write a no pets clause in your tenancy agreement, 
tribunal are now starting to make rulings that these clauses are unenforceable. And really? Had, so, wow. so yeah, this is big, big, because pets and rentals is a big, big thing. Now, I'm yeah. pro-pet because, I mean, my wife isn't. She's like, you know, we're not putting pets in our rentals, you know. <laughs> but I think, I think every human being has the right to have a pet. I mean, they, they may have body corporate stuff and things like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if people you, choose if pets they, over kids, you know. I mean, yeah. what, what? Well, yes, they what, do. <laughs> but what will happen? This is what will. This is what I think will, will end up happening. We'll see. We'll see that landlords will be able to write clauses around types of pets. The pets have got to be, you know, you've, you've got to, they've got to comply with the Dog Control Act. You're not having a pig in the lounge. Yeah, <laughs> they've got to be registered. The landlord has a right to say no. But they've got to have a valid reason to say no. Yeah. That's the type of thing I think that we're going to see um, without legislation being written. I mean, National mm. may decide that they want to do something about that. I don't know. Well, it's interesting. It's an act proposal. So whether or not National picks it up or allows the space, mm. it could become uh, it could become a members bill for one of the new members of caucus that they could then put in the biscuit tin and see if it gets drawn out. Um, I did have I had to ha have a look at New Zealand First proposed policies around this too, and all I have for you is a question mark because I don't know <laughs> what they want to do. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I don't there's any Um, I also did have a little look at um, things for landlord the, the um, interest deductibility on investment yeah, property. That's a yeah. big so, thing. That's a yeah. big thing. So National Act and New Zealand First have all promised to bring bring back interest deductibility for landlords. So yeah. it's safe to say that that will happen. How fast it will happen, I don't know. But one thing that um, National has said is they've got in their first 100 days, they want to really um, put the rubber to the road and do something. So you can imagine that uh, they'll probably prioritise that quite high and at least let everyone know what their plan is with um, doing that. And then also the Brightline test, I thought that that's probably an mm. important thing to talk about too, because it is a form of a capital gains um, yeah. tax and National wants to bring it back to two years and act two wants years. to get rid of it entirely so that again is another tension that you have between these two parties arguably the ones that need to come together uh, will form the majority of cabinet um, and what that's going to look like for them to negotiate this kind of stuff out uh, but you can at least sort of see from the direction and the makeup of the numbers on the night sort of at least with a little bit of certainty some of these key things that are going to happen Holly, uh, so we'll probably have to, to wind it up because we're hitting our like 30 minute like cat, catchment. Pack. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And it's not going to be the most romantic night we've ever had. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to find the reading of this bill in the parliament. So I'm going to sit there and going to watch it with a glass of wine because you've made it sound so <laughs> entertaining. I mean, it's not, <laughs> but you elicit a lot of information out of it. <laughs> watch their body language, Dave, as they talk. Oh, yeah, Take notes. Polly, I'm so good you're a leaguey. I'm so happy that you've come out there and you said you're a big Warriors fan. Of course. So, <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, because I came over here playing rugby, but I was brought up in a rugby league town. And, yeah. um, you know, and I love my league and I love the Warriors since I've been here. <laughs> uh, listen, look, you know, we can't wait to see you in person and meet you in person at the PMC. We're, we're so lucky. I can see from this, I mean, getting to speak, I can't wait to see you on stage. I'm sure the people who are listening to this podcast can't wait to see you on stage as they're coming along. Just I, hope they stay. I hope they oh, stay. I hope they stay. We won't let them leave. 
lock them in the room. I think one of the things is is that um, to encourage everyone to stay, and I have let Dave know this, I'm going to do some particular um, resources for the PNC. So if you do stay, you're there, I'll make sure that there's a whole bunch of things that you can get from a lobbyist for free. And there's probably a sentence that people are not used to hearing. So... (laughs) Oh, God. I love this woman. She's been ancient. She... Anyway. <laughs> so, to remind you, everyone, your tickets are still available 23rd, 24th of November at the Takina Event Centre in the nation's capital, Tafanganui Atara in Wellington. Make sure that you get your tickets. Make sure that you get along. Uh, we've got to see Holly. You've got to see so many others there speaking. We can't wait to see you there, Holly. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, this has been one of the most fun podcasts. That Fantastic. <laughs> Hey, well, I'll come back anytime, you guys. Just ask me. <laughs> okay. Okay. And next time, we'll make sure Will's here. I haven't actually thought of him once through this whole <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're missing out on Will's quick fire five at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope everyone sort of gets a little bit of um, value out of it. And then, yes, please, please, please come along to the conference. I'd love to sort of share more insights and uh, show you how you can become your own best advocate. <laughs> Good on you. Cheers, Holly. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Holly. Thank you. Talk to you Bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Alternative Property Management Podcast, powered by Renty and the PMC.